0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nottingham Playcast. The podcast is about to begin. Please take your seats. Hello and welcome to the Amplify podcast. I'm Craig Gilbert, Amplify producer at Nottingham Playhouse. Now we've entered our third national lockdown and once again holed up in my makeshift bedroom studio having a series of interesting conversations with exciting theatre folk. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Amplify podcast. I'm Craig Gilbert, the Amplify producer at Nottingham Playhouse, and I'm joined today by the theatre director and producer and all-round brilliant impresario, Sam Hodges. How are you doing, Sam? <laughs> yeah, very good. A very sweet introduction. Ah, you know, you are uh, as, f- as far as I can see, British theatre's answer to Diaghilev. So I think that's a fitting <laughs> introduction. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, tell me, Sam, uh, we're now in our third national lockdown. So yeah. what uh, yeah. what are you uh, what are you passing your time with during this uh, uh, yet another period of? Uh, homeward boundwardness yeah
1: well I I have um I have I'm blessed with two children under the age of seven um and so my time is predominantly spent with them um I've been thrust into the role of home educator as so many people have um and yeah I'm not gonna lie it's it's definitely tougher this time around um I feel like Uh, lockdown two or one or you know I've lost track but whenever it was we were last doing this I don't know it was spring wasn't it and I felt like there was a much more of a sense of um we were all in it together weren't we and the sun was out and it felt like we had to do it and 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 there was almost a sort of blitz spirit about it and I think that we all just feel a bit more disillusioned with how things have been handled to say the least um and so yeah so it's so anyway so a lot a lot of a lot of time on that but but um but also sort of i've been building my um building my company over the last few months a new production company so which has been it's been really exciting so it's it's I feel it's it's been good it's been good
0: great and um obviously the new production company sounds super exciting but just to take you back to the homeschooling for a moment what is your favorite subject to teach at your kitchen table
1: uh it's a good question i think um you know what, actually, I'm, I think my favourite thing to teach in inverted commas is not at the kitchen table. This is what I've learned over, over the last few weeks, just getting out of the house and scavenger hunting and looking at birds in the park is definitely the the, the place where the three of us are at, at our best together. It's funny, my, my, my parents are both teachers, um, and, and in fact, I was home educated, um, as were all of my four sisters. So there were five of us, and we were home, and, and this has given me, which is you know, quite unusual. But this has given me a renewed um, uh, sense of awe uh, for what my parents did, I think. Um, it, it has very much reminded me that, um, you know, t- teaching is a, is a profound skill. Um, and I, I sort of enjoy it. But I think, I think it's, I think it's tough. Um, sort of, being required to shift the relationship between parent and child into into that it's it's quite a subtle thing so actually so, so we have found you know we do we try and do a bit of the homework that the school is setting i mean they're only six and three um, but actually ripping around Clissold park um with you know wellies on and sort of looking for hibernating newts under the logs uh we're, we're all very happy doing that so that's that's i think that's the, i think the best moment
0: Great stuff. So, um, homeschool. Where did you grow up, Sam? Where are you from?
1: Uh, so, I was born in Plymouth um, and, and lived there for ten years. Uh, so, that's where my dad's family are all from. My mum's French, um, and um, so we so we lived down that way for ten years, and then we moved to uh, Wiltshire, um, just outside Swindon, for uh, a few years, uh, and then ended up in Suffolk um, in my sort of I guess my early teens um uh which I you know my parents lived there until they recently retired to France and so I've sort of yeah I've got a relationship with lots of different parts I guess of of the south um um, but but Suffolk um I think Suffolk was the sort of is the place I feel the most connected to I guess I was into those older years and and of course I sort of went back there um to set up High Tide eventually so so it sort of had an ongoing relationship with that place
0: and uh, where on your journey around the South does your did your relationship with the arts and the theatre begin? Where where were you when you thought, hang on, just for me? Yeah, right at the
1: beginning in Plymouth. So I was part of um I was part of a um a youth theatre company called Plymouth Children's Theatre. Um Alexis Hurst ran it. She was the daughter of Mike Hurst, who's one of the Springfields, a Dusty Springfield, and um she was amazing. You know, she was one of these. They're they're everywhere all around the country. This sort of extraordinary. That they're real the real impresarios I think these um people who set up um sort of youth companies and 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 it'd been going for years and we would perform at both the Athenaeum uh, which I don't think exists anymore and the Theatre Royal um and so we were doing that I was doing that two two shows a year and every Saturday and it was my life completely my life um particularly I think because I was home educated so it was it was my sort of social life as well um and so, yeah, so as early as I can remember, really, um, I was sort of on stage and and sort of very, very much in love with the whole environment of the theatre.
0: And were you were you just performing in those shows or did you do other stuff as well? Um,
1: you no, know, just when we were in Plymouth Children's Theatre Company, I were just performing, singing, dancing, you know, that sort of thing. Um my sort of interest in the other elements actually my understanding really my awareness of the other elements of theatre didn't come to later um that said um i i just remembered that i when i was when i was probably about seven or eight um i remember inventing possibly the most boring game of all time i mean it wasn't boring for me but it was boring for my sister my younger sister who i forced it on and the game was that we um basically copied a seating planner uh, a theatre seating planner which i had seen <laughs> and we sat at an imaginary box office with telephones and just took calls and just and just booked imaginary people into a non-existent show
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, oh, how do you do? Do you get good houses? <laughs> oh,
1: we're full of ruffle every night, and uh, you know, brilliant. <laughs> um So I, I've always I've always enjoyed the fact that we were doing that when I was sort of six or seven, and then eventually did have the joy of a, a real box office.
0: <laughs> when is it that you go from this thing being uh, you know an integral part of your life? Uh, you said you know the entirety of your social life. When do you think? Hang on a minute. This is the thing I'm gonna I'm gonna make a career out of. This is the thing I'm gonna hang my hat on as a profession i mean i think
1: that effectively throughout my you know i wanted to be an actor um as as so many in our industry did and so that was what i was focused on throughout my teens uh and at university although i think that um unlike a lot of a lot unlike some people um who turned up at university with a real sense of the game plan, you know, and understanding how the industry works, and that it was about getting agents down and casting directors and whatnot. I, I, I was pretty naive about, uh, happily so, about how it all worked. I, I just loved doing it. I loved being on stage, and, um, so I, I think you know, it, it was always what I wanted to do. Um, and at, at university, I began to uh, direct a bit, uh, produce a bit. Um, you know it was sort of very privileged to be able to to just try all of those things um in the student theater um and so i think my my sense of the profession more widely grew then uh, although I did continue doing some acting um professionally after i left so yeah I think there wasn't in all honesty i don't think there was a sort of light bulb moment i think it was i think it it just continued from as early as I can remember through to i mean my sense of it changed of course and my my understanding of it and what i wanted to do very very much changed um but yeah it was there wasn't a moment
0: and can you remember any of those university shows is there anything that stands out there that you're particularly proud of or do you think that was particularly important in terms of that journey um
1: yeah i can remember it all um uh and i i I had a very very happy time um i have to say and, and i was sort of one of those people who was just constantly doing it you know and sort of probably at the expense of studying and so on but um
0: i think actually just what did you study in in like what did you go to university to do uh,
1: Eng- uh english 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 right,
0: yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. english very much went straight on the back burner as soon as you arrived and you threw yourself into making plays
1: yeah I mean it didn't it didn't I mean I, I you know I was also reading plays and, and studying plays as part of the degree so that was great and that was sort of quite conducive but yeah I mean effectively I was you know my my sort of focus and my life and my time was spent in and around the two theaters um and I think sort of highlights I think for for I, I was I was in the, the sort of as a performer, I think sort of my happiest moment was I was in West Side Story, which it, for me is the best musical ever written. And I was very happily uh, playing Riff, who's just a great character. And it was uh, a show in the uh, in the arts theatre. Um, and it was sort of one of, you know, one of the sort of bigger shows in terms of budget. And it just felt incredibly exciting. Um and that was one of my, you know, I think that, that was the most fun I've had on stage. I think sort of in terms of being important, I one of the last things I did rather pretentiously, I think, but um, was to act in and direct uh, a play called Fall of the House of Usher.
0: The Stephen Burkhoff version. Brilliant. <laughs> I can I can think of nothing more quintessentially <laughs> university drama Indeed. than that play. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. I mean, it was you couldn't make it up. This production, in terms of how quintessentially student, I mean, you know, uh, it, it is such a sort of, I mean, to be frank, like self-absorbed piece of writing, anyway. And um, and and I think we did it justice in that respect. Um, <laughs> what, what was sort of, I think, particularly like the
0: quote on the poster. Sorry, I said, was that the quote on the? Post yeah, yeah, there? exactly.
1: It's a particularly self-absorbed piece of theatre. Yeah, no, the, yeah. The, the I think so. But what what was actually quite important in inverted commas is that it did very well at university. You know, it was sort of it was a hit in in the student papers and blah blah blah. And it was pretty much the last thing I did. I think penultimate production I did. And so we took it to London. You know, we sort of graduated and we took it to the etcetera theatre in uh, in Camden. Um, above above the pub and it was our you know it was sort of our our arrival <laughs> we set up a little company uh the three of us who made the show and we we did it upstairs in this pub and and you know to say we came to earth with a bump um, <laughs> would be no understatement there was a real I can't I wish I could remember the sort of quotes but the, the it's sort of the gist of it was these guys basically think they're cheek by jowl or you know <laughs> I can like yes. and they're really not. Um so it was I think it was it was a sort of it was important in that it was a it was one of my first directing gigs and, and you know, so I sort of learnt about that, but it was also a real it was a it was a good moment for the ego and a good sort of introduction to a sort of a sort of sobering moment, I think, in terms of how the industry works. Um, so yeah, it's all, all round important.
0: Great. And just as a little sidebar at this point in the conversation, um, obviously I've talked to everyone about their formative and training experiences on this podcast. But at the moment, everybody's trapped at home. They don't have the luxury of going out and making uh, or even seeing that. So I was just wondering, were there any books or resources that were particularly important to you in the uh, uh formative part of your career?
1: In all honesty, no. I mean I I don't I I, I think through and I think this is this is probably a um a, a failing. I've never really um thrown myself into the sort of I know there's a whole um Slew of books about directing, about acting. I mean, I mean, I read the David Mamet book about acting, and and um, you, you know, and I, and I've read a few along that. But I've I've always found that I've sort of always learnt on the job. Basically, I sort of always learnt as I go. And I think, for better or worse, <laughs> frankly, um, but I I I think I've always been more interested in and and have been you know, particularly at university, I was very lucky. Had uh, had that opportunity to just to just throw stuff at the wall and see see what happens I think I think to a certain extent that goes you know back to my slightly strange childhood this sort of combination of being home educated on the one hand and my life being my sort of social and sort of arguably emotional life being you know caught up in in theatre and sort of youth theatre um and I, I think the sort of combination of those things, my relationship with theatre has been th- that it's just, that it's possible, that it's, that, it's, that it's about trying it, you know, that it's about um, experimenting. And, and a sort of, you know, I suppose what I mean in terms of what home education part did, you know, being home educated for me, there's a, there's a, there's a certain sort of naive confidence um, that comes out of that. And, and I mean it's naive because you're not exposed to the world in in the way that kids that go to school are um and that and that can that can be quite painful when you finally (laughs) meet the world (laughs) Um, (laughs) but but there's also with it a sort of sense of like anything is possible um yeah so so i think you know my i I, i'm i suppose i'm I'm sort of not really trained (laughs) you know that's the reality i'm not trained in a formal sense um but i think that What I did when I was at uni and and have tried to continue doing ever since is sort of go for it and and try things out and and ask people if they'll, you know, if they'll do it with me and try it with me and play with me. Um, Yeah, that's sort of been my approach, I guess.
0: Uh, And with the idea of anything is possible in mind, I can think of nothing better to demonstrate that than the founding of High Tide and creating a theatre festival uh, in the middle of Suffolk um, uh, that has become one of the most important new writing companies in the country. So can you tell me how you get from the fall of the House of Usher above a pub in Camden to High Tide in a field in Suffolk?
1: Yeah, I think... I basically spent a few years, um, you know, trying to do the acting thing, and and, you know, doing a, having a few gigs here and there, um, which oh, I oh god, tell
0: me that one. I, I had no idea you'd done this. Go on, tell me what what did Sam Hodges do as an actor?
1: Um, I did a few a, a few reasons. I was at the in the Winslow Boy at Salisbury Playhouse. I was at, in Man for All Seasons at York Theatre Royal. You know, I was sort of I was starting to get those sort of younger. Roles in some, some regional theatre stuff. Um, did a little bit of TV. Couple, you know, a couple of small roles in in film. But like, really, I mean, the the reality is, I wasn't. I was sort of neither ever brilliant, uh, nor, I think, importantly, had the the sort of right type of focus. I, you know, I, I look at my um, uh, friends of mine who are who are terrific actors, and I think. One of the things that many, of, one of the things that many of them sort of have in common, is uh, an ability to be utterly focused on the task in hand, um, uh, and dive into that, and, and sort of necessity of doing that. And I think I've always been a more skittish, I suppose, in my in the way that my brain works, and and I sort of enjoy. Um, I, I, I discovered this, of course. Like I, it, it took me a while to work this out, but um, enjoy lots of different things sort of happening at the same time, which is which is sort of inherently, uh, you know, how producers and directors and, and that sort of side of, of things work. So to come back to your question, I was doing those sorts of gigs and I, and I was, um, you know, I was enjoying them, um, but I was also, um, you know, I had friends who were writers and we sort of, we'd come out of university together. I met some other people and I, I became sort of, um, I suppose aware that it it, sort of fe- it felt to me like in terms of the way that the new writing infrastructure worked at that time, there was a lot of development opportunities. Um, you know you could sort of get signed up to you could you know if you were lucky enough, you could get into different writers' groups and programs and so on. Um, but you know, there was a great number of, uh, those opportunities and very few, um, in terms of production and as a result, sort of quite a lot of frustration, I sort of just picked up on quite a lot of frustration and the idea of, um, the idea of high tide came quite simply out of a, like, well, why don't we just, just actually put some plays on, like actually do the whole thing, you know, um and And it goes to that sort of point I was making about like a sort of naive confidence really and and I think there's a sort of if sometimes if you're sort of naive enough, either willfully or otherwise about how difficult things are to pull off um, then it helps you know and i think in in the case of of high tide, I mean you know like a lot of it is quite random, and I have to say you know one of there was a couple of big things that happened for us in the first year that really helped to to land it. And one of them was um, having the support of um, this uh, wonderful lady called Claire Parsons. Uh, she runs a, a PR firm in Farringdon called Lanson's. And in the second year, she said, well, why don't you come and base yourselves here for free? You know, you'll be our sort of resident you know, theatre company, and it's part of what we're giving back to the arts. And to this day, High Tide High Tide is still based there. Um, so has effectively had sort of central London um, free office space <laughs> for over a decade, um, which is sort of extraordinary. And and was one of the things that was able to help us get set up. So, but in you know, it, the idea in the first year was really simple. We just wanted to do a bunch of short plays you know it was it was very scrappy it was you know i can't remember how it worked financially i know the whole thing cost 60 grand the first year um which we sort of raised by asking you know it was you know we asked people who asked people um and we applied for a couple of trusts and you know we just we just threw, threw ourselves at it and i i think it was uh, you know it was quite knowingly a bit of a cowboy operation you know sort of, yeah, sort of one of those things where the energy was we were just out there in the middle of nowhere um I'd been introduced I'd sort of gotten to know Jill Freud who's a bit of a sort of one of the Freud family and sort of um runs a a, a summer theatre company in Southwold, and it's quite sort of renowned for it and I'd asked her where if I wanted to do a festival in Suffolk where where should it be and she told me about this wonderful venue called The Cut in in uh, Halesworth, it's a little market town which I'd never even been to, even though I lived in Suffolk.
0: So you know, it was quite. um And um, what What was the? Where did the decision to do the festival in Suffolk come from?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely didn't want to do it in in London. I, I wanted the the sort of idea was that it felt away from all that. You know, it, fe- it felt really important to get out of the um, critical spotlight and the pressures of getting your work made in London and, um, and, and actually in the early years, um, we were very clear that we didn't want the plays reviewed, you know, so, so, so if, you know, the guardian would turn up and sort of talk about the whole thing and say, you know, hopefully say that, you know, it was a nice time and these were the writers and, uh, and you know, it was a, it was a good way to spend a weekend or, or etc. Um, But we were really clear that this was not about the press. This was not about uh, that sort of exposure. This was a sort of crucible um, for people to experiment. Um, uh, And the sort of model from the very beginning was, here's a bunch of brand new writers. And the way we're going to get people to come and see them is we're going to ask, you know, Michael Frayn, as as it was, and um, David Hare and uh, Michael Palin and, you know, whoever uh, we could to come and talk about something and those were the people that people would come and see um, and uh, while you're here come and catch a play by Sam Holcroft um, uh, who you know people didn't know then or Tom Baston or whoever it might be
0: when uh, when is the moment when that feels uh, like when does it not when does it stop being a, co- a cowboy operation there you go that's that's the thing about it when do you do you feel like oh my god we've made something really significant
1: here the the, the game changing moment was 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 Stovepipe, um which was, as you know, I'm sure a play that Adam Brace wrote. And a, 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 a wonderful actor, writer, director called Seb Armesto, um brought it to us and said, You must look at this play. And um and I asked Mike Longhurst to come and direct it, um, who's, play at the Chihut Jerwood play I'd seen at the, um, at the Young Vic. And it was a sort of promenade um, in this little art gallery. There's an art gallery space upstairs at the venue. And, and, and Mike and Adam created this incredible um, sort of promenade production it's all set in Iraq, so they created this multi-zonal sort of Iraq world upstairs in a in a in a Suffolk art gallery, and the National Theatre. Um, it, it got extraordinary reviews. Um, uh, you know, people came, people did review it, people loved it. But but the the real game changer was that um, both Josie Rourke, who was at the Bush at the time, and then the National. Saw it, and that sort of between us, we put together a a sort of site-specific transfer to a car park under the W12 shopping centre in Shepherd's Bush, um, which was, I mean, a like it must have been twenty times bigger than the original space. So it was, it was genuinely a sort of car park, Um, and you know, the National did an amazing. I'm trying to remember exactly, but the National basically sold it as a national show so we were suddenly being you know as a co-pro so we were sort of on their website and part of that stable. um the bush co-produced it with us um and sort of uh, and it happened and that was actually the moment where i realized i was actually doing man for all seasons up in york and i remember it really clearly i was in you know i was in the three-legged mare (laughs) which is uh, one of the iconic pubs in York uh, after after a performance. And these things were, it was, I was getting these emails and Sebastian Bourne, Bash at the National, was sort of writing and saying he loved it. We had to make this happen. And it was just utterly thrilling. Uh, I couldn't believe it. Um, and that was the moment where I was like, this is, this needs to be full time. Like this is needs to be what I do. Um, I, I need to, I you know, this is, this is what is making me happy. Um, so that was both the sort of shift for me into pretty much, I mean, not entirely out of acting. I, I sort of acted a bit more, but like that, that was the shift into, you know, being an artistic director, I suppose, in, in all the sort of different aspects of that. And it was, and it was the shift for High
0: Tide then what feels to me like a real shift sort of post that is you go to go to work at the Criterion theatre that, that seems yes. that seems that seems like a real right turn having set up you know the most exciting new writing festival in Britain you're co-producing shows with the National and the Bush and then uh from acting and directing suddenly you go to the Criterion as a producer is that right yeah how, how did how did yeah. that work out yeah
1: it's um so basically so i'd been at high tide five years and it had become you know it become a thing i suppose it had become it was funded now by the arts council so it was it had that sense of sort of security and there was part of me that was sort of i guess just looking and sort of wondering what what next and um and actually the reality is that I still wasn't the acting thing. I hadn't quite put to bed yet, I think. So there was a sort of the various things going around in my head. And and at that moment, Sally Green, who had been a great supporter of High Tide. So Sally, um, I'm sure you know, Craig, but Sally, you know, who is a producer, so produced Billy Elliot, um, but she also owns the Criterion and the Old Vic. um, And she had been on our board at High Tide. And she said to me, uh, she, she, she Stephen Fry was chairing uh the Criterion and she basically said do you think it would be possible for a west end theatre like the Criterion to have a have a sort of artistic identity like a not for profit like a subsidized theatre um which was a very exciting proposition it's a very very interesting idea um and 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 I still think the answer is yes um but what, so what, what I ended up doing is I went to try that idea out. And 39 steps was, um, had been there for years and years and was sort of potentially on its way out. That was the sort of idea. And so I, I started exploring what the, that might look like, that program. And whilst I was doing that, um, I was, because of the 39 steps, is an hour I can't remember but sort of an hour and 20 minutes long and is has basically no set you've got a theatre and and in my opinion the most beautiful theatre in the West End um f- doing nothing for to 22 hours every 24 you know and and empty <laughs> Um, so I was able to program, I commissioned two two new plays, one by Adam, actually. Um, uh, and I put together a sort of summer season in 2012. So it was the Olympics. And we put on, we put this sort of summer season of stuff. We put plays on in the afternoons. We had um, a whole program of you know, stuff with sporting figures and um uh, late night stories and comedy, Eddie Izzard, and like it's so really really fun stuff. And I and I got to it sort of treat a, a West End theatre like like it wasn't a West End theatre and, and commission writers to to write directly for that space, which was thrilling. And, and I suspect um, unlikely to be repeated. But I so I spent eighteen months sort of doing that, and um, and and basically it became clear that Thirty Nine Steps wasn't wasn't going to go. Um, and it was, you know, it was that's absolutely fine. It was sort of moving along well, and so I said to Sally, we had sort of had a conversation. I said, "This is this is not. It doesn't look like this is going to become um, what you were wondering about, is it?" Um, at, at which point um, Southampton happened. So yeah, it was it was it was really interesting. Sort of little. It, it actually it actually is not that far away from it, from where my passion has always been which is about new writing but the reason i'm sort of particularly grateful i think for that moment when it came is that uh, i had been suppose operating in a particular way you know w- with brand new writers and often sort of early career directors and in in the far you know far flung um suffolk coast and by spending 18 months at the criterion and and, and meeting lots of people in that world, I began to understand much more about the commercial side of the industry. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm, i always, I've always felt frustrated, but, but particularly around since then about the sort of strange attitudes, I think from one to the other, from the sort of different sides from the commercial and subsidized parts of our, our industry. Um, and I've always felt very strongly, and I think that then sort of influenced how I worked at nuffield um of the- Go on,
0: just just take that a little bit for me what, um, what would you how would you define those differences and um and what's strange about them
1: well i i th- I think what I mean is that um I think that both sides have historically and this is absolutely not you know always the case of course slightly suspicious of the other <laughs> um and, and particularly i think there is a sort of suspicion about the commercial you know the sort of commercial as a word has become something of a of a dirty word historically mm. and and um I, I think my view is that very simply there are um a lot of very brilliant an increasing number of, of sort of brilliant um producers and makers working in that space who really understand theatre and and are as are uh, committed actually to um, the development of new writers, um, the uh, uh, to to diversity, to accessibility, uh, to all of those sort of aspects that one might normally associate with the the subsidised sector, um, and I think it, it also just taught me that theatre is also a business. You know, I think we one needs to remember, keep remembering, by by which I mean. You know we make theatre for people to come and see Um, it is important that keeping our audiences in mind um, it remains at the heart of of the work we make and how we make it Um, and I think that you can sometimes you you can sometimes lose sight of that I think it was important for me to connect with that.
0: And so in a hypothetical world if the 39 steps had stepped aside as it were Mm What would the uh, what would the criterion have looked like if you were programming it full time and you had the you know the prime time seven thirty slot as well?
1: Oh, Craig, um, I do know that we had been I'd been talking to Mark Rylance about um, directing Much Ado. So and and we got quite far down that road. The one that eventually um, went to the Old Vic. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know I think i don't uh, what it was then i can 't quite remember i think um I, th- I think the thing I was always excited about was the idea of trying to have a theater really committed to new work you know the i the sort of i remember around that time reading that there was a moment and i 'm sure I've, I've got this wrong, but the, Terence Rattigan at one point had like four new plays in the West End at the same time or something <laughs> you know like this sort of idea of the West End um being being a starting point for for plays and for writers was so sort of exciting to me um, uh, as opposed to the model which of course is it makes more sense from a business point of view for plays to start elsewhere and to sort of transfer in um so i think i think there would have always been uh it, it, ideally there would have been new plays in there and that would have been sort of the focus i think if i did it now then the musicals would would also form a really important part of that um which has become sort of increasingly and that latterly um something that i'm sort of more and more interested in more and more interested in
0: you've had the 18 months at the criterion and then uh the opportunity to be the artistic director of Nuffield in Southampton comes up so tell me did you had you always had an ambition to run a regional theatre was Uh, with the Nuffield building that was on your radar as a place you like the look of how did that how did that work out what was the process there
1: I I don't think I ever and and I have never had this sort of clear sense of like the, the route that I want to take not least of which because it has changed from acting to um to a sort of not even from just from acting to directing I think for me I've always been as interested in It's not so much sort of producing in the traditional sense, but the sort of artistic director role and sort of that wider um, sort of curatorial um, sort of aspect, I suppose. Um, And so I think running a theatre had become increasingly something that I was interested in. Uh, In in all honesty, and I said this in my interview, (laughs) uh, I didn't know the Nuffield at all. I'd never been. And it wasn't remotely on my radar, um, uh, which I which I found um, curious. Um, because actually, when I went down, I thought this was a great space. You know, this is really immediately, and that was the that was the the campus space at that point. Um, and I found it really interesting that a city so close to London, um, and of course, it, it had a great sort of history, and it it had like so many regional theatres, sort of its ups and downs. I think. Um, so I I wasn't really aware of it until someone told me about the the job, um, and uh, I sort of got to know it um through the quite bizarre interview process um it was it was it was actually terrifying the second interview was was um, <laughs> one in which all of the candidates were there at the same time so oh my so as opposed oh. to this sort of more traditional uh, HR approach to interviews, where you know you have the candidates coming in the front door and the and the parson's going out the back door, and sort of never the twain shall meet. We all spent the entire day together. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie; it was absolutely awful. Um, and we went in one by one. To, this was sort of second round, I think, to give um to give to, to give our sort of vision pitch to the board plus the staff, right? um wow yeah yeah, yeah. i mean so how
0: many how many people are we talking just so people can visualize this that's yeah what, 30 people in the room yeah
1: exactly exactly it was yeah. between about 30 and 40 i i think it must have been it can't have been the whole staff it must have been i don't know yeah. whether it was whatever however they decided it there were a lot of people and then <laughs> the highlight of the day was uh was that at lunch we got to sort of mingle um with with the other all the candidates we sort of had a like a finger buffet <laughs> and it was a sort of you know we were all trying to like hustle and sort of talk to the chair and it was very very odd um anyway so so um yeah it was definitely it was one of the things that came out of that process for me was like i'm never i'm never gonna do that to anyone that it's really scary um but i think um yeah so so i think that it was, it was new to me and I then sort of really immersed myself in, in what, it was as, what it was as a city and where it was at and um, sort of went from there.
0: And, and so what's it like having, you know, the experience founding your own company and then you're trying to make something new and different in the West End at the Criterion and suddenly you're running a regional theatre, you're actually running a theatre. What uh, I'll tell you what, tell me the biggest shock. In becoming an artistic director of a building, like what don't you realize when you turn up
1: I, for me, one of the biggest challenges was about sort of scale um, and I had gone from a, a very sort of s- small contained self energized um, sort of setup you know high tide, even though it became um, y- y- you know more and more people sort of knew of it and it was it sort of gained a certain um, reputation it remained small in you know we were a team or we were a handful of people uh, throughout the majority of the year and then we sort of grew obviously for the festival um for for a period of a month or something and then we shrunk again and and obviously when you're operating at that scale which i also was at the at the, at the criterion you, you just do a bit of everything it's that sort of self producing sort of mentality and you muck in and and I think, you know, the, the real sudden growing up I had to do, I think, in Southampton was about management, you know. Um, and, you know, I think on top of that, I guess I was relatively young, um, or at least sort of relative to inevitably some some of the staff who'd been there in some cases a long time um and so all of that requires a kind of sensitivity um which I don't think I always had if I'm honest and I think that um you learn you learn quite quickly I I think I made a lot of mistakes I think particularly from a a sort of management point of view
0: will you articulate one for me just just so we just so I can really understand what you mean I mean obviously you know naming no names and whatnot yeah I think yeah
1: yeah of course I think um I think I'd I'd I probably just had a tendency to, when things weren't moving, firstly to expect things to move more quickly than they just can. When you're, when you're operating with more people, Uh, I mean, this is sort of obvious, I think to anyone who's, who's managed, but um, I didn't know that. And I think that I sort of expected things to move at the pace that I'd been used to when you're just a small outfit. So I think that, there were there were a number of occasions i think in those first couple of years where you know what my in my instinct would be to sort of swoop in and sort of do it or i believe it's called micromanagement craig um <laughs> you know it's it's just very interesting people have been there for a while doing things and there is i, I remember feeling this sort of duality when talking to the staff there of a genuine excitement amongst many of them about the opportunity to to change and to evolve how they were doing things and to try new things. You know, I I was very keen on bringing in sort of new directors. It it had followed, I suppose it had been in that um, type of setup that so many regional theatres were for so long, where, you know, my predecessor, a wonderful guy called Patrick, had been there for over 20 years um, and was of that generation of artistic directors who directed most of the plays, you know, that just was how theatres worked. Um, and that hadn't, that wasn't, that was never going to be the way I did it and wasn't the brief, frankly. And, you know, what I sort of pitched to the board at the beginning was what I can do is what I've done at High Tide, which is to invite, you know, wonderful directors and writers and designers, uh, which has always been a very important part for me, to come and play here and to come and work here. And I think when talking to the staff that've been there for the year, there was always that sense of and, and it's the difficult thing to judge, of wanting to uh, I suppose, inspire and say, let's move forward and let's try these new things, but always but 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 cognizant that, you know, stuff has come before. Um and I think, you know, I don't think I was I don't think I always I think I, I you know I, th- I think basically I've I've always sort of pushed forward. Um, that's sort of been that's how my my energy works. And I think the thing that I've learned over the seven years that I was there was that uh, you know ma- management and and by the way like I d- definitely I, d- I don't even know how good a manager I am now. I think, but I think that the lessons I learned over the time on that side of stuff was about knowing yourself, like not 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 kidding yourself about the areas of your um your style that are that are successful and those that aren't and trying to surround yourself with sort of complementary people um not people that are like you you know that's the temptation yeah. i think to just be sort of like-minded and like-styled um and i don't think that's particularly useful
0: just uh just very briefly tell me so You you did end up end up you did make the decision to direct work in Southampton, but you didn't do it for a little while. Yeah, was it always was it always your intention to make your own work at Nuffield, or did you reach a point where you just felt you had to, like you had the urge? What what was the yeah what was the thought process behind I won't make for a bit, but now I will.
1: Well, I think there was sort of two things. One was that. you know, there was a developing sense of what the direction the theatre needed to go in with the board. Um, and I think there was, you know, that there was um, a, a set of conversations around, as I said, I sort of, I had partly pitched this idea and my track record, I suppose, for what it was, was around bringing people in. Um, I, I think, you know, I think it's also worth saying that my, I've had a sort of slightly strange career, you can call it that, um, and, you know, haven't directed anywhere near as much as a lot of my sort of contemporaries because I wasn't always doing it. I was acting and then I was sort of, even at High Tide, I was sort of mostly being an artistic director as opposed to a director and sort of working with writers and so on. So what I knew was that to, you know, one of the first things I did was to invite a group of associates whose work was far, far beyond what mine was in terms of where they got to in their career and, and quite frankly, their their abilities. So, uh, and Natalie Abrahami, who I know you've had on this, and Mike Longhurst, Adam Brace came as as a writer, uh, Tom Scott um, as a sort of associate designer, and Blanche McIntyre, like, and and they were my, and I have to say, like, so my first two years in the job. I really leaned on them, and we—we we, we, it was a sort of quite a wonderful setup where we would have breakfast uh, every couple of weeks, I think it was, and chat. You know, they weren't down there with me; they weren't—they—they they had their—they had their careers, and they were directing and designing and writing and so on. But what they were able—they were my sounding board, really, and they helped me program, and they came and made shows for me, importantly. Um, and so, what I was able to do in those two years by leading with them and and if you if you've got them you know you're going to lead with them um uh was to sort of create a i hope a sense of what the artistic identity of the building was um and and then i start and i think it, after i'd been going for 2 years i suppose i felt if i'm honest i felt just more like i knew what i was doing a little bit like i felt a bit a bit more confident because because it was I I didn't have a clue what I was doing really when I started. You know, I I'd, I'd never um well, I'd never run a theater. Um and and running and running High Tide is nothing like running a theater. Um you know, programming a handful of plays once a year for a festival is hard work and quite intense in a very particular way, but it is it's a very very different muscle to the pressure of simultaneously needing a program all year round and you know, managing, um, a company of of staff. Um, and so I, uh, you know, that took all of me really for two years. I I think I, even if I'd wanted to, I wouldn't have had the sort of headspace to direct. I felt then after a couple of years and I, and I really, if I'm, the other thing to say is that I really learned from watching those guys, um, direct, you know, they're, they're all brilliant, really brilliant what they do and all very different in their styles. And I was very close to the work. Obviously, you know, I watched it and and I, I watched them in rehearsal. I watched them in, in in previews. And our relationship, you know, although I was, you know, the, obviously the artistic director and was able to be their sounding board and sort of noting them in the way that artistic directors do. I felt like we were um, a group of quite supportive contemporaries, and it and it was yeah, it was a it was a great it, it was if it it was a it was a great time in lots of ways.
0: What are, you, what are you proudest of of the seven years you, you did at Nuffield and then NST?
1: I think I'm proudest of um, The Shadow Factory, um, because, which was um, the play that I commissioned to open the new theatre in 2018. I think I'm proudest of it because it was a rare example where all of the things you, you talk about <laughs> and you want to be true actually were true actually came together by which I mean it was a new piece of writing which we had been talking about as a company as a theater staff for a number of years um, it was genuinely rooted and came from a story of the city and and we had been researching it and talking it playing around with it for a number of years and then um, and and then as a piece it was a sort of combination of something that For me personally, in terms of my taste and and my sort of artistic endeavor, was, you know, was sort of worked with 59 Productions, who are a fantastic design studio, particularly in video, and so had elements of real, um, sort of, uh, a very strong aesthetic and a sort of ambition there. But the piece centered around um, a group of people from Southampton who formed our sort of community ensemble and and they really were the show i mean they they sort of sang and 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 moved and you know it was a piece about them about the people that came before um and and it worked you know which is always nice it doesn't always work um so yeah i i, I you know, there was a sort of running joke really um because we brought it back one more time the year after it, it was by no means a cheap show to run um, but we brought it back the next year and there was sort of running joke at the, we would have a sort of Christmas party, of course, every year. And, um, some of the staff would do a sketch and there was a running joke that sort of developed that if I, if I could, I would just program Shadow Factory forever. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: It, it, it wouldn't have been the worst decision in the world. I mean, I thought I thought that was a terrific show. Um, I remember, you know, I, I was wo- I was working in a building at the time, the first building I worked in. I remember coming to see it coming down to Southampton yeah. and thinking, "Oh fucky hell, they've done it! They've done the thing. This is ace." Um, yeah, it was yeah, it was great. So yeah, I mean, yeah, twelve months of sh- twelve months of the Shadow Factory. Why not? <laughs> um, and, and on this podcast, uh, like I'm so I'm talking to a series of. People who work in the theatre who have been super successful, and when you look at a person's career sort of retrospectively, um, you and if you see it on paper, especially, it can feel just like a a ladder of success, one rung after the after another. And I'm really keen when I talk to people on this podcast to uh, sort of eke out the uh, the areas of failure where it wasn't quite so plain sailing. Mm-hmm. So, on that note, what would you say you wish you'd done better during your time at no field
1: I mean genuinely lots <laughs> um i think I think that I suppose partly I was saying earlier, but whilst I did learn the need for you know broadly speaking the need to not be doing it all and to be sort of going, you know what are my strengths what what works, where should I be sort of focusing um I think that. If I could do it differently, I think I would have maybe embraced that earlier and sort of found a way to, I
0: don't
1: know, I suppose sort of, yeah, let let go on certain elements. Um, to, to your wider point, Craig, about, about the sort of strange ways in, in which things are anything but a ladder. You know, I think I'm very proud of lots of the different things that I've done uh, looking back. but. You know, I think they are, for me, they are marked with um, definitely for the moments of failure, I think, consistently, <laughs> actually. And I think that each time something sort of comes to an end or I sort of understand um, that there's been a sort of, I understand things in a different light, I, I, there have been tough parts of that. And, um, you know, and right now I am trying to build a company. Um, but it's, you know, in these sort of strange times. And I think this last year, there have definitely been moments for me of sort of grappling with like what next, like genuinely, like it's, it's very strange. You sort of, because we work in an industry, which is by no means linear, um, sometimes it can feel, and it has felt for me even this year, like where, where am I now? Like, am I back at the beginning? Am I, is this a moment for changes? I've even had, sort of thoughts in my head this year, of like, is this this is the moment for a radical change um, career-wise? And I think, you know, I think it's important to go to those places so that certainly in my case, you go, no, this, you know, this is, this is what I love and, and this is what fundamentally un- un- underpins a sort of part of who I am, I think.
0: Do you think you'd do it again? Like, Do you reckon your heart could be set aflutter by the opportunity to run another Big 12 building? Do you reckon you'd do it again?
1: Um, I I think I'd I'd love to run another theatre. I think I'd love to. I think I'd love to run a theatre in London. If I'm honest, I don't know if I'll get the opportunity to. Um, You know, I think one of the one of the challenges for like these last seven years is is balancing running a theatre outside London with having a family in London. In my case, Um, and that was always a sort of uh, quite an existential. quandary as i think it is for any artistic director who is not full-time in the city that they're you know there's this sort of sense that you know in an ideal world i think you know that as an artistic director you would be in the theater every evening you would be sort of soaking it up you would be understanding your audience by watching them go and you know and, and people talk about that and of course i did a fair amount of that but the reality is you know i think balancing that with you know, trying to be yeah, a father and a husband and a friend and all the other sort of responsibility, that's, that's, that's you know, theatre is, is sort of tough in that respect. And so I think for me, this there would sort of come out of that period with a real sense of, you know, I also need to prioritise other elements of my life. And so I think that would to some degree dictate where I work um, in the future. Uh, just the idea of running a theatre, I, I, I absolutely love it i love it i love whilst sort of highlight was the shadow factory in a sort of concrete way in a, in a in a in a less specific way in a sort of ongoing way i think the highlight was the sense when you walk around the building that you have been part of and where the staff are you know people you've gotten to know and the very intense bonds that you build particularly in tech and and those sort of you know, crazy moments of theatre making. There is a sort of sense of home uh, in a building, which is indescribable, I think. Um, and for all the sort of challenges, uh, sort of operationally and logistically and so on that goes with running a building, that, that, that sense of being in a place uh, and being connected to it and, you know, the exchanges you have on a daily basis, I think is, uh, I've never had anywhere else. and And I would... Uh, I think I would definitely love to have that again, for sure.
0: Just to change tack slightly, and now just ask a couple of quick questions about process, because I know we're we're a little bit pressed for time now. But just as a um, the word you used before, as a curator and a facilitator of the work of other artists, no, what is it? What is it you're looking for that makes you go, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen with this person. I think it's.
1: I think what I really respond to is. Um, people that want to try something often want to try something new sort of pushing against um, the way that things are being done generally. And I don't necessarily mean that it has to be new or sort of radical, but I feel like um, the sort of energy that, that exists in a conversation you're having with, with someone, writer, director, whoever it might be about something that they want to make Um I think where I often sort of wake up a little bit and, and you know, sit up in my seat and sort of get excited is when I'm, when I feel like there's sort of, there's a natural capacity to challenge themselves. Um, and, to you know, it's an overused expression, but to sort of take risks. Um, uh, and, and I think that, that they're the theater makers that I, I love and whose aesthetic I enjoy, um, all, all have that in common i would say
0: and t- so then tell me as a director uh what does the first week in your rehearsal room look like
1: <laughs> i mean it's, it's basically sort of um it evolved every production i've done and has moved from um i think a place where for whatever reason maybe a lack of confidence um it was much more sort of text-based to a place where uh, actually i i'm I'm sort of much more connected with what I used to enjoy, and it took me a while to remember this what I used to enjoy as an actor, which was not table work, so called. It was just getting up and doing it. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll have all of those sort of tools, the sort of, you know, the research tools, sort of the timelines, all of that stuff peripherally to hand and uh, usually prepared. Quite comprehensively beforehand, in order to create an environment where the very first thing we do is get up and start doing it um and respond and I think you know it's really interesting I think actors forget that um yeah, as a director you you're basically you, you spend you're watching something and um I, I think actors sometimes think that there is this sort of clear uh, idea in a director's mind of what they want, and therefore if they're seeing something how it's right or not right <laughs> you know how close it is to this and, and actually quite a lot of the time you're just going i don't know <laughs> i don't i don't you know and but i need to say something because it's as much about sort of the journey for everyone of evolving a character uh, as as it is um you know having a sort of you know a clear artistic vision and so on and, and and shepherding people towards that so and i but i think as i you know over the years as i've directed more I basically, and this is probably obvious, just become more comfortable and therefore much more uh, enjoyed the sitting in the moment and not, you know, not going. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where this is going. Doesn't matter. Let's just ask the question. Let's do it again. I might not say anything. Let's do it again. Let's try things. And um, you know, in the last couple that I've done, that's been sort of how the first week has been, and the second week, and the third week, and that's that's sort of been the style that I've come to enjoy i think
0: uh, and i, I think you're, you're really good at that sort of making a, a creative space i mean obviously i've i've never been in your rehearsal room but we did a little bit of work together on a play a couple of years ago didn't we like we did three days together on a on a on a version of a book and i remember like honestly, on my way to the first day of that, being genuinely terrified. It's like, I'm going to meet this writer that I've never met. Uh, and, I'm, and Sam's going to be there. And the last time so I saw Sam, he interviewed me for a job that I didn't get. Uh, and within that half an hour, I was so relaxed. And we were like, we were doing the work. It felt like a proper creative space. Are you conscious of doing that? Or is it just a thing that happens?
1: Oh well that's really that's really nice to hear Thank you um that means a lot um I, um I don't think I'm conscious of it no but I'm I can feel when it's happening <laughs> I can feel when um you know uh, the the room is comfortable um it's such a strange you know and and, and the, the difficult thing about the environment of a room is that it, you, you of course set the tone or try to set the tone um, by the way that you you talk and interact and, and open it up and listen and so on. Um, but there are so many elements, as we all know, and some of those are out of your control. And I think, um, you know, I've I've had rehearsal rooms that are utterly glorious, and I've had rehearsal rooms that are really difficult, frankly. And, um, you know, uh, so and 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 I I've I've been I think. The same in both of them (laughs) so I think it it doesn't always work and I think you know as a director you can sort of beat yourself up about it a bit um and really sort of agonize over what you're doing wrong or how to sort of move things in the right direction but I think when you know you certainly I certainly know I can feel when people are enjoying themselves um and 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 you know I'm not I'm not really a sort of gamey person in I'm not sort of the person that that I sort of always of thought it'd be nice to be sort of the, the square ball or whatever it is player you know I, I i we sort of crack on and get on with it but um you know I, you know as well as i do that you can tell when the environment is one in which you sort of feel like you're pulling together you know
0: yeah it's funny i said i'm not that person either but you know what it took me such a long time to realize that it's okay to not be that person totally. uh, and I think I think it's important because like when you do read the books and you know I've re- unlike you I've read all the books um which are, you know essentially useless in the end but it feels like you have to be that kind of um uh, yeah the game player the Foursquare uh, four square and whatnot uh and you don't they're like there's a million ways to do it and you can it's get to square. the same <laughs> yeah. yeah that's it you, yeah. Can, you can get to the same sort of uh openness in a room that you're sharing with other people to make a piece of work without without doing all that. And I think, yeah, it's just important that people know you don't have to.
1: I think it's about I think it's about um if I'd say it's one thing that I've learned, it's about vulnerability. And I think that um it was actually my wife that said to me, I think she saw she saw me into sort of interacting in a work capacity. You know, always embarrassing when you get busted, you know, doing your work voice or whatever. And I remember her saying to me, Or sort of commenting in such a way that it made me feel like, oh, like I'm not I'm not how I am around my friends in, you know, in in work and in the rehearsal process. And of course you're not. Right. Okay, But but actually learning to to I mean, basically with amongst those I love and I'm close to, um, you know, I'm, I'm I sort of invite my sort of role is sort of I invite people to take the piss basically I sort of you know i'm 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 sort of comfortable with that and sort of enjoy it and and learning I suppose to have that vulnerability within a rehearsal room. it took me a while to understand that that didn't mean that you were you know conceding you know some form of control as a director that you needed to get yourselves over the line uh, actually the opposite you know um. That if you, you are able to make yourself vulnerable, um, whilst also, of course, importantly, trying to have a clear sense of what you're trying to achieve and trying to articulate that when you can, then that, that I feel has been, um, for me, the most, the best, the the way I've landed, I think
0: great stuff uh it's been great to talk to you sam i just have two quick questions to wrap up if that's okay yeah. uh first of all can you tell us about the last work of art that absolutely blew your mind so be it a film a play a book anything at all
1: well i've not seen i've obviously not been to see anything for ages um uh in the flesh but i have i have i discovered uh, online as we are all discovering a uh a guy called Johan Bourgeois who's who you, you might know is a French dancer choreographer but artist and he's and i've become sort of obsessed with watching his he 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 creates some um, he creates installations um living installations with dancers and um there's one called the mechanics of history which is particularly beautiful but basically it involves dancers uh, and lots of trampolines and often sort of um swinging platforms or pendulums or rotating uh diocese and it, it is I, i've i'm you know i sort of watch i sort of uh, devour him on instagram and his sort of various platforms um uh, dances i have two identical twin uncles who are ballet dancers dance has always been sort of particularly important to me and i discovered him i think it was i think jeremy heron had him on his uh was you know liked him or something And i was like who is this guy and have since sort of gone down this um this sort of online rabbit hole and I could not recommend him now. His his work is sort of utterly beautiful and it's sort of all quite cyclical. There's sort of a sense of the sort of rise and fall of, you know, of man, I guess, in, in, in both a sort of, you know, quite sort of um, difficult way, but also I think quite a sort of hopeful way.
0: Great stuff. And finally, um, if that wasn't a recommendation enough, that sounds brilliant, but can you, recommend something that we can all enjoy during this third lockdown i mean
1: i said it at the beginning didn't i i genuinely think for me my my i, I i'm getting all of the sort of cortisone i need at the moment by getting outside i just i think that's the answer i'm you know i, I i'm i'm not i haven't been i'm not hugely one for sort of devouring culture online i find that sort of difficult. Um, and that's a whole other conversation, I'm sure. So I just I just feel like take this moment. Um, I I feel like it's done me an enormous amount of good just to take this moment and be outside, um, you know, watch the ducks. <laughs> I think that's the way.
0: Brilliant. Well, Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks,
1: Craig. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this specially recorded episode of the Nottingham Playhouse Playcast Amplify podcast series. To find out more about the Amplify programme or the rest of our work, visit nottinghamplayhouse.co.uk and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for all the latest episodes as they're released.